0: We exist to be a multiplying movement
1: for all people. We exist to glorify, to celebrate the one true and living King. To passionately point people to Jesus. We exist outside of Sunday morning. We exist to bring Christ to the next generation. To lovingly proclaim Jesus to everyone.
0: We exist to welcome the unwelcomed. We to spread joy. To bring hope. To bring peace. We exist to serve. We exist to respond to crisis. We exist to worship. We exist to develop leaders. We exist to connect. To build community. To learn. To restore. To make disciples. To love. To grow. To be a family.
2: We exist because of
0: Jesus.
1: Isn't it great to be part of the EFCA? Let's give a hand for the EFCA excited to be a part of this what I'd like you to do is uh, find two other people we're going to get in groups of threes and what we're going to do in those triads we're going to first of all share where we are in terms of ministry and uh, what capacity we're in in that ministry and then the first thing I want you to do is just talk about something that you want to give thanks for that God has been doing I am convinced, friends, that one of the most (laughs) beneficial things that we can do for our journey is to daily give thanks for something that God's done. We lose perspective when we forget to say thank you. So in our groups of threes, the first thing, somebody after you introduce who you are, share one thing that God has done that you're thankful for and then have someone pray for that. So you'll pray for each other. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing, ask For an area of where you might need wisdom in ministry. Say, you know, and that's gonna create some vulnerability, but I would encourage you to just say, This is an area where I need God's wisdom in ministry. Will you pray for this? So that's the two things that I'd like you to do in terms of prayer in our groups. So we're gonna take a moment, we're gonna share what God's doing and say thank you. We're gonna share where we need help and ask for wisdom in groups of threes, and then I'll close. Heavenly Father. This morning, we come to you with thankful hearts. God, we of all people should be overflowing with gratitude. Father, this morning, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the transformation that it's made in our lives. God, we thank you for the churches that are represented here the peoples, the people who are those churches, the lives that have been transformed and are being transformed each and every day. Lord, I also pray for leaders in this room. No doubt in a group this size, there are hearts that are heavy, challenges that seem insurmountable, relational difficulties with other fellow leaders, things in our homes that we're concerned and we care about, and yet thank you that we can bring all those things to you today. We can cast all of our care upon you because, God, you care for us. So we pray as we have this time of worship that, God, we would be encouraged and we would encourage one another. And we ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. It's my privilege uh, to introduce our speaker this morning. Mike Bullmore has a PhD from Northwestern University. Mike married Bev in 1988 and lives in his childhood home of Kenosha with his three children, Abigail, Madeline, and Graham. Mike served for 15 years as an associate professor of homiletics and pastoral theology, as well as chairman of the practical theological department at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois. In 1988, Mike led the launch of Crossway Community Church in Kenosha. He gives direction to the leadership team and pastoral staff and is the primary preaching pastor there. Right now, would you give a warm welcome to our speaker,
2: Mike Bulmore. Rob, thank you very much and good morning to every one of you. Um, I was sharing with the folks that were at the pre-conference earlier this morning. I've been looking forward to this for some time now. There's something good that happens um, when people who are kind of about the same thing and moving in the same direction and love the same things gather in a room together. I think God uses these things. Um, I don't know exactly how God's going to use this in every one of our lives. I'm just very confident that God has good for us today. And so it's a privilege for me to stand here. I don't know that I've ever spoken four times in one day, so they're putting me to work here. Um, But I trust that God will sustain me and sustain you as you listen to me over these um, now three sessions. Let me just give a little vision for the day. And then we'll pray and we'll jump into this session. The theme for the day is gospel-centered discipleship. In order to do that well, we've got to lay foundations. Um, In the pre-conference, there's an outline in your in your folder, by the way, if you weren't able to be there, but in the pre-conference, we talked about this ever-important foundation of the gospel, spoke in terms of the functioning of the gospel in the life of the church. If your discipleship, personally or in your church, is not centered in the gospel, it's on a bad footing. So that's one foundation we've got to make sure is laid. The other foundation is what we're going to do right now, and that is word, gospel and word, the two places where you've gotta have feet solidly uh, on solid ground in order to do discipleship. And so we'll talk directly about discipleship this afternoon in those sessions, but now in addition to the gospel, we wanna lay this foundation of the word. So let's ask for God's help and then let's dive in. Father, thank you for the promises you give us that you will provide for us everything we need for life and godliness. We pray that for ourselves. We pray that for the people that you've given us uh, care for. And so, just in our minds right now, we think of them. Lord, I pray that you would take what we're doing here and multiply it out, translate it out for the good of many. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So this session, the sufficiency and power of the word in the life of the church where most of our discipling is happening. And I believe the place to begin is with a very simple assertion that God intends to form his people through his word. God intends, it's his intention, to form his people through his word. Christ's beautiful body, Christ's beautiful bride for whom He gave his life, and the care of whom he has, think about it, amazingly entrusted to the likes of us. Formed, week in, week out, year in, year out, patiently but faithfully formed by the faithful administration of the word. This is how, as Paul says to the elders... Of the church in Ephesus speaks this way in Acts chapter twenty. This is how we care for the church of God. So let me try to just press this into your brain this morning. God intends to form His people through His Word. Now I use that word "form" very deliberately because it carries with it both the idea of creating something, bringing something into being. He formed us, he brought us into being, and it also carries the idea of shaping. He forms us continually, conforms us, reforms us. I love this image of God as a patient sculptor, patiently forming us into the image of Christ. And this is true, both of us as individuals, and it's true of his people gathered into local congregations. God's intention is to form his people by his word. James speaks so clearly of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James, 8, James 1, 18. Peter speaks so clearly, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. First Peter 1, 23. And there is that wonderful passage in Ephesians chapter five that we're all familiar with for a different reason. In fact, we can be so focused on the instruction to us as husbands that we overlook that richly meaningful statement about God forming us by his word. Just listen to what Paul says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she, the church, might be holy and without, blem- without blemish. I mean, there are so many places that speak of this particular truth that God intends to form, to create and then to shape His people by his word. But the place that I want us to go this morning to anchor us in this truth is Deuteronomy chapter 8. Would you please turn there with me? Deuteronomy chapter 8. I don't know of any place in Scripture that speaks quite so eloquently and compellingly of this truth as this passage that we find right at the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now I'm guessing that there's some words here, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3, that are familiar to most of us. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And that's where we're going to end up in just a moment. But I want us to pay attention to the context here in order to heighten the point of verse 3. So let me read from verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 8. The whole commandment, that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you. Now pay close attention here. He humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, God is saying, listen, I let you out in that desert and I let you get hungry and then I fed you on purpose so that you'd be satisfied in your stomachs and then realize that you're still not satisfied because you were made for more than bread. You, you were made for something far more important than your physical appetites being satisfied. You were made by God, you were made like God, you're made for God. There's a part of you, there's a spiritual part of you, and it's the most important part of you, and that part of you is fed by God's word and God's word alone. And so here is God heightening this point that he's trying to make, listen, The only way that my people are going to live and flourish is through their receiving, through their taking in the word of God. Friends, we were made to need spiritual sustenance. And God has given us his word to nourish us spiritually, to form us, to bring us into being, and then to shape us. We need God. And God is present through his word, he makes himself present in his word. So, we're not being bibliolaters here this morning. Don't separate God from his word. No, God's word is precisely what it is because it is God's word, its nature, its power. Derive immediately from its author. So close is the connection, you know this if you've read your Bible, so close is the connection between God and his word that how we respond to his word is an accurate index of how we respond to God. God says it right here as clear as a bell, you live by the word of God. Natural man, unregenerate man, he comes to life by the word of God. And then having been brought to life God's people continue to live. They are strengthened and sustained and nourished, shaped by the word of God. You know, one of my favorite moments in the gospels uh, comes in the the gospel of John chapter six. Um, Jesus is preaching to the crowd and he begins to say, remember this, he begins to say some hard things um, about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. In fact, many in the crowd begin to murmur and they grumble and they say, this is a hard saying, Who, who can accept this? And John tells us that many in the crowd begin to leave. In fact, this is one of those moments where I wish we had video. Um, Because I'd love to see the look on Jesus' face as the crowd begins to thin out and he turns to his disciples and he says, are you going to go away as well? And Peter, in this moment of, I believe, spirit-inspired brilliance, says to Jesus, you remember, right? Where else will we go? You have the words of life, by which Peter did not mean your words are about life. No, your words are life to us. We've been with you long enough, Jesus, to know we live on your words. Your words are life to us. And it's exactly the same for us. God intends to form his people by his word. God intends to build his church by his word. You know, as we were anticipating um, planting Crossway, this is now 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, we were, we were just so excited. There was this group of people that was gathering around this idea. They were excited. There was just a lot of energy as we anticipated planting Crossway Community Church. And, and during that time, At one point, I was sitting down over lunch with an older pastor, and he said something to me that I will never forget. He he said, Mike, you know, it's one thing to gather a crowd. It's another thing to build a church. The church is built. The church is formed. The church is created and shaped by the word. And that happens in multiple ways. You know, in Acts chapter 6, we have that just lovely statement made by the apostles, we will devote ourselves to prayer and, what is it? The ministry of the word, right? Sometimes, especially as preachers, we can be tempted to draw too close an equation between that phrase and preaching, which would be a mistake. Um, Certainly preaching is a ministry of the word. I would argue that it's the central ministry of the word in the life of the church, but it's not by any means the only ministry of the word that shapes the local church. The ministry of the word happens through various administrations of the word by means of all of which God is forming his church. Think about the ministry of the word, that phrase as kind of an umbrella, this big overarching category underneath which we'll find various ministries. Administrations of the word, preaching of the word, personal counsel of the word, training by the word, rebuke with the word, evangelistic proclamation of the word. There's so many things that the word must do that cannot be done by Sunday morning preaching. And it's the larger ministry of the word that forms the church and the effect of that multiplied ministry is enormous. At least that's what the Bible claims. I mean, it's amazing all of the things that the Bible claims it can do relative to the forming of the local church. Just listen to this. This is an incomplete but representative catalog of the church-forming, church-shaping ability of God's Word. God's Word initiates faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. God's word gives new life, it regenerates. You've been born again through the living and abiding word of God, 1 Peter 1.23. God's word helps us to grow. I commend you to the word of his grace, which can build you up, Acts 20.32. God's word enables our sanctification. The word of God which is at work in you believers. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. God's word actively sanctifies us. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. John 17.17. God's word searches and convicts. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to penetrate even to the division of joints and marrow. And it searches, it judges the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. You know anything else that can do that? Acts 4.12. I'm sorry, uh, Hebrews 4.12. God's word refreshes and renews. Just, Just open your Bible to Psalm 119 and read all 176 verses of that psalm, maybe with three exceptions, talking about the power of the word. It refreshes, it renews, it does all sorts of things. And then I think about Psalm 19. In fact, would you just look there with me? Psalm 19 has a very special place in my heart. It's the first passage of scripture that I came to love, that I developed affection for, and the reason for that is because my dad loved this passage over his family multiple times. Psalm 19, listen to this, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Friends, don't let those Don't let these biblical phrases just kind of remain in in kind of religious cliche land. You think about that phrase even for a minute and you recognize something that every one of us wants. Or is it just me that needs his soul revived every once in a while? This book says this book can do that. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Anybody else interested? Um, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Okay, there's a phrase that we might not be quite as familiar with, so let me help you. Think about 1 Samuel chapter 14, where the Israelites are engaged in battle with the Philistines, and Saul the king makes this really stupid commandment to his army, don't eat anything until we, until we rout the Philistines. I mean, that's really dumb. Soldiers need strength. Um, Jonathan, his son, actually is someplace else, so he doesn't hear his dad's command. He's walking over here with some of his buddies, kind of a gorilla side thing, and they walk through the woods, and the, the narrative here is just beautiful. It slows down. They come across this, this hive. Jonathan sees the honey. He takes his staff. He dips it into the hive. He brings it up with his fingers to his mouth, and do you know what the very next phrase in your Bible is? And his eyes brighten. Vitality. That's what this book says it can do for you, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. This is what the word says it can do And if all of that is true, I mean, it's just stunning. No wonder God said, man lives, you will live by the word that comes from my mouth. It's just stunning, the power of the word to shape the church in its faith, in its birth, in its growth, in its integrity, in its character, in its consistency, in its joy. And that is exactly what God intends his word to do. God's intent is to form his people by his word. All of these things the word does, and God has focused that efficacy with particular concentration on the life, into the life of the local church. So let's consider now in the time we have left, what is it about the word that makes it so useful, so able to form the church. I want to highlight four things, four things that are true of the word by which it forms the church. And by the way, I don't think you should be in local church ministry if you don't have deep and abiding convictions about these four things. I used to say to my students at Trinity, I don't think you should graduate from here if you don't believe this about your Bible. Who cares what your grades are? Um, If you don't have these convictions, and I would say the same thing to you today, I don't think you should be in ministry. I think you should be handling the word in front of other people if you don't believe these things about your Bible. So the first attribute of God's word that makes it able to form the word is what we might call the God-breathedness of Scripture. It's one of the nice things about being the speaker is you get to make up words. The God-breathedness of Scripture. you got to start here. And you can see exactly where I get this, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's actually from God, from his mind, and then uttered, uttered by him. God really spoke this. So when we refer to this... As God's word, that's, that's not just another kind of name for the Bible. That's what it actually is. And the point here is that God has spoken something specific, something objective. There is something very specific he is saying to us. Again, when I taught at Trinity, I, I would regularly tell students, every time you read your Bible, you should imagine God's face looking out at you from behind the page. And he's got a look on his face. Like... Saying something to you. I'm communicating to you. God is speaking, He's saying something, and He means it. So God has spoken, and this book is that word written. And our task in preaching. In teaching, in any ministry of the word, is to let God's word speak, to create space for God to be heard. In fact, one of the best compliments you can ever receive when you're done ministering the word, whether it's preaching or something else, is to hear someone say, hey, God spoke to me today. I know it looks like my pastor up there, but it sure feels like God's speaking to me today. Now, let's break this down. God speaks. God speaks. God speaks. This is the starting point for all theology and it certainly is the starting point for our theology of scripture. God has spoken to man. One of the primary metaphors that is used in the Bible of God is light. This is the message. God is light and in him there is no darkness. Now that is a metaphor that's full of meaning but one clear implication of that metaphor is that God is a self-revealing God it's in the nature of God to communicate himself he delights to make himself known so we see him all through history taking initiative he does so in creation he makes himself known he does so in the great redemptive acts of the Old Testament he makes himself known he does so quintessentially in Christ he makes himself known And all throughout this unfolding, this making known of himself, there is this special way he's taken initiative. He's spoken. He's communicated in words. In fact, it's one of the major points of contrast when you read the prophets between the false gods and the true God. Our God speaks, those idols, they don't speak. Now, not only does God speak, but our God writes. All scripture is breathed out by God. God has made it a point to have his word inscripturated. And we can take this, in fact, we need to take this one step further. Not only does God speak, not only does God write, but catch this now, God still speaks by what he has spoken and inscripturated. I want to show you something here. Turn with me to Hebrews um, chapter 3. This is just, I'm not trying to argue a case here. I'm just illustrating this. Chapter 3, verse 7. Notice this. You know that the book of Hebrews is basically a long sermon. And in that, in that sermon, the preacher regularly appeals to Old Testament scriptures. And he does so in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Notice what he says. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and he proceeds to quote Psalm 95. Now, it's interesting that he makes a point of saying that this was not just David speaking but it was the holy spirit speaking that's a very important point but what i want to call your attention to is the tense of the verb did you notice this therefore as the holy spirit says i mean this is this writer is quoting something written centuries earlier and he's speaking of it as something that the holy spirit is saying right now do you see the point By what God has spoken, he still speaks. Now that's just an example of the principle that you actually find in the very next chapter, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living. It's active. So first, God has spoken. There is something specific and objective and it's here. This is God speaking. See his face. Feel his heart. And because it's his word, it has power to shape His people by this word he intends to form his people that's the first conviction second the second attribute of scripture that makes it able to form God's people is its understandableness it's understandableness now I could have said it's perspicuity but when was the last time you heard that word in polite conversation The understandableness of Scripture. Think about Paul's words to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who, here it is, rightly handles the word of truth. In other words, there is such a thing as a right handling of God's word. It's possible, and please don't limit the application of that to preaching. That applies to all of the ministry of God's word by which the people of God are formed. We need to rightly handle God's word. Remember, we said just a moment ago that this is from God. It's a revelation. It's a making known of himself by God. And given what we know about God, we can draw a conclusion. Given that we know that God is good and what he does is good, we can know that when God speaks to us, he's not playing games with us. He means this to be understood. He, he means us to get this. It's not as if, you know, it's possible to hold this first conviction and not hold the second one. Theoretically, it's possible that God has communicated, but it's not understandable. It's like it's some cryptic code that no one can ever stand, understand. God can say, you know, well, I communicated, but they'll never understand. He's not playing some cruel game with us. He's not toying with us. He's not giving us a message that's just frustrating. Yes, I'm communicating with them, and yes, I mean them to understand what I'm saying. There is some greatly desired effect that God is seeking to accomplish in his people, and for that effect to be achieved, it's essential that we actually understand what God is saying. So we speak of the understandableness of scripture. There's a beautiful snapshot of this in the twin Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah describing God's people after exile you know they're back in the place that God had for them and there's this picture of God's word forming the people again It's really beautiful. Ezra chapter 7, we read, Ezra had devoted himself to the study and the observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel to the people of God. And then you flip over to Nehemiah chapter 8 and there's this wonderful scene. All the people are gathered. Remember this? All the people are gathered. They built this platform so that Ezra could stand up on the platform. And what does it say? And he he opened the book. And he began to teach so that they could... Understand. Listen, I'll just read this. Ezra opened the book and read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. You see, Ezra himself is able to understand it such that he could stand before the people and explain it so that they could understand it, and therefore the word could have its shaping influence among them. Now, remember, 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says to Timothy You're going to have to study. You're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to do your best. Nobody drifts into excellence. Nobody drifts into understanding God's word. In fact, some parts of this book are very challenging. They require diligence. Remember what Peter said about Paul's writings? They're hard to understand. So there's no room for us being cavalier in our ministry of the word. But there's lots of room for confidence. In fact, conviction in our ministry of the word because of the understandableness of scripture. Let me say it this way. I think you'll find this helpful. Scripture will yield to believing study. I heard that many years ago, and I have found it so helpful. Scripture will yield to believing study study. God means his word to be understood. So as a minister of the word, you engage in expectant and faith-filled and therefore faithful study, knowing the perspicuity of the word and knowing that God intends to use his word to form his people. Third, the third attribute of God's word that makes it able to form the church is its usefulness, it's usefulness. So it's God-breathedness. It's from God, it's powerful. It's understandable. it's understandableness. God intends us to get it. Now, third, it's usefulness. Think back to 2 Timothy 3:16. "All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is, it's useful." I love the old King James translation of this verse. "It's profitable." I like that translation because it speaks not just of usefulness, but of value the value of that usefulness. God's word is profitable. God God's people benefit greatly from God's word. They live, they flourish by being formed by God's word. So let's ask the question, how exactly does scripture exercise its usefulness? Well, it's not some kind of metaphysical mystical thing. No, it's by the faithful ministry of the word. Remember what Paul says? It's by teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. By these means, the Bible demonstrates its usefulness in shaping the people of God. Let me just use a personal illustration. This happened many years ago now. I was invited to go out and uh, teach uh, for a week at a, at a pastor's college out east. And um, after the week was over, they asked if I would stay and preach on Sunday, but we had this Saturday all day, and so I took advantage of the opportunity to be with a good friend of mine, and we drove to Gettysburg, about a two-mile, two-hour drive away. And I figured, you know, while I'm in the car with this guy, I'm going to take advantage and just open up a little bit about my marriage, share with him just as a fellow uh, Christian, and just just kind of benefit from. So I'm I'm talking about a time. I used to teach at Trinity, and I had about a 45-minute commute coming home, and almost every day after teaching, you know, I'd long day, I'd be driving home, and my mind would be on one thing, dinner. And I would imagine dinner, you know, waiting for me when I got home, you know, and sometimes I would even think so clearly about it. I'd salivate sitting in the car. Well, on this particular night, I get home, I walk into the kitchen, and there it isn't on the table. Instead, my wife is on the phone with her mom, And I think all men have this gesture. Um, Sometimes we're able to keep it inside of us, but it comes out. This is what it looks like. Guys, tell me if you can relate. Do you know this gesture? Can we get going here? Can we get moving? So I did one of those to my wife. Like, can, can we get going here? I'm hungry, you know? And she gets off the phone. Now, I don't yell at my wife, but I spoke to her in that situation in a way that was not pleasing to God little edge to my voice. Do you have to talk to your mom now? you got all day to talk to your mom. Why, Why, you know? And so now I'm in this car with my friend sharing this with him. You know where he took me? He took me right to James chapter four. Why are there quarrels and fights among you? Is it not because you want something and you do not get it? And it was like God's word, just like a spotlight. We didn't need communication techniques. What we needed was the clarity of God's word telling me what's going on in my heart. And if Bev were standing here right now, she probably couldn't say, you know, Mike's never spoken with any edge to his voice, uh, you know, since that day. But i tell you, something changed. Um, God's word is so useful. And friends, your Bible is full of that on all sorts of different levels, um, so as we engage in the ministry of the word in our local churches, God's word can be trusted to speak to the real issues in people's lives. You don't have to go fishing for relevant topics. You don't have to kind of make sure you just frame everything in exactly the right way. No, God's word is useful. He addresses both the ordinary things of life and, as Alexander White said at one point, the eternities and immensities of human being. So don't deprive your people of what is useful to them by trying in your ministry to be more relevant than God. God can be trusted to set the agenda and his word is what we need. We live by these words. God's word is so profitable, it's so useful. That is why it is our special duty as ministers of the word to feed God's people this. God intends to form his people in particular ways through his word and he's made it very useful for that purpose. All right, I'm five minutes away from being done. Where did Rob go? Okay, Okay, now I gotta gotta do that. Um, Number four, the fourth attribute of God's word that makes it able to form the local church and this is, I recognize in saying this one, it's a bit of a tautology, but we've gotta name it. The fourth attribute of God's word that makes it able to form the local church is its efficacy, its effectiveness. So we've already made the statement about God's, the the God breathedness, the understandableness, its intended usefulness, but the question is is it really able? Is it effective? Well, listen to the prophet Isaiah. I think the strongest and the clearest words in all of scripture regarding the efficacy of God's word, Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. This is God speaking. Just just says, the spring and the summer snow do not return to me without accomplishing that for which they've been sent, watering the earth and seed to the sower, bread to the eater. So my word will not return to me without accomplishing that for which it has been sent. Um, I find that powerful. My word will not fail to get done what I intend it to get done. I mean, just think of all of the metaphors that the Bible uses of itself. They are all metaphors of efficacy sword, hammer, fire, even the less aggressive metaphors seed rain they all speak of things that get stuff done so do you remember that list that i read earlier of the things that god's word claims it can do it initiates faith it regenerates it helps us grow it does the work of sanctification it searches and convicts the the human heart it refreshes and renews it revives the soul it rejoices the heart it enlightens the eyes i mean i just want you to imagine as a pastor or a ministry leader being asked this question, what would you like to see happen in your local church among your people? What would you say? Well, for me, this is kind of my list. I really want people to be born again. That's something I want. I really want people to grow spiritually. That's something I want. I really want people to actually progress in their sanctification. I want people to feel conviction over their sin. I want people to be refreshed, alive in their souls, joyful in their hearts, bright in their countenance. These are things I would love to see in my church. Don't you? And this is what God says his word will do for his people. Because of and by the God-breathedness of Scripture because of and by the understandableness of the Word, because of and by the usefulness of His Word, because of and by the efficacy of His Word, God forms His people. He shapes the local church. There's absolutely no question God intends to form His people through His Word. Or to put it another way, God's people... Our local churches, we live and we flourish only by receiving and believing his word. Listen, we don't come to every Sunday morning or whatever your setting is. We don't come to every setting of the ministry of the word anticipating there's going to be a revival of historic proportions. But we should come fully anticipating that God intends to form his people. And so we faithfully bring the word To the people. Yes, wisely, yes, pastorally, sometimes like gentle rain to water their souls, sometimes like a sword to pierce into their hearts and their minds, but we bring it in all of our ministry of the word, not as a bludgeon, not as an instrument of our own personal power or self righteousness, but as life, as bread, as water as instruction, as guidance, as correction, as encouragement, with eagerness, with humility, with gentleness, with love, and then we watch the word do its work. Friends, it's one thing to gather a crowd. Lots of people can do that for all sorts of different reasons. It is an entirely different thing to build a church. And only those who are committed to the administration of the word, this word, shot through all of our ministry, week in, week out, year in, year out, only those who are committed to that can do that, can build a church. And when you do that, and you finally come to the end when you can lay it down, I believe you will actually hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just being clear again with us through your word, and I pray that you'd take this and take it for each one of us. Do what only you can do, God. Take it to the place where it needs to go for each one of us, and I pray again that it would bear fruit that would last for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you. It's a delight to be able to be with you and to be able to see the heart of the Forest Lakes District in planting new churches and bringing churches in and being able to see ministry multiplied. Mike, thank you for your word today. A well, heart. And as, in fact, I was thinking while you were speaking of a comment that you know, Colin Smith and I were in conversation this summer at EFCA1, and he looked at me and he said, Kevin, you just need to know free church people are Bible people. And that's who we are. And it's the sense of the word of God in our hands the gospel in our heart, and we're on mission together. Praise God. Would you stand? Let me pray over you. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in the Forest Lakes District of the EFCA. Seeing this room filled with men and women who love you, who are deeply committed to the ministry of your word, who are committed to seeing churches multiplied ministries grown and expanded among all people to the glory of god thank you for friends here who reach out and love one another and who are investing in each other's lives and raising up a generation of leaders across this district and so father as we've welcomed three new churches into the forest lakes district and the efca today We pray your blessing upon each one of them. And Lord, I pray your blessing upon these churches that are represented by everyone in the room here. Father, may there be an encouragement that you would bring to leaders. May you bring favor to the people in congregations across this district, that as they would engage those who do not yet know Jesus, the doors would open for conversations to be able to introduce people to the Savior. And that your word would be that forming tool that you would use to be shaping us to be people of God. So Lord, may we see more followers of Jesus and and more of them looking more like you. And continue to do your work here to your glory. Thanks for John and for the staff of the district. I pray your blessing upon them. May you grant them your strength, your safety, and your protection and your favor in ministry. And now, Lord, as we share lunch together, bless the food and all the different affinity groups that we'll be meeting today. May this be a time of encouragement as we connect with one another because we truly are in this together. And thankfully, we're in it with you, Lord, because without you, we have nothing. And we love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.